0: hello everyone applying to jobs can be hard but it can be made a little easier with this podcast welcome to our professional development podcast made for students by students this podcast features students on co-ops students who have completed co-ops and alumni who are working full-time jobs talking about their journeys Monica yardi a chemical and bioengineering student along with anushri chakravarti a chemical and biomedical engineering student both at McMaster university noticed the challenges multiple students faced with finding co-ops and jobs and created those podcasts to spread important information such as how to network, how to write effective resumes and cover letters, and how to nail that interview no matter whether it's online or in person. Join Anika and her co-host Anushree Chakravarti as we ask you to tell us about yourself.
1: All right, all right. Today we have with us Sarah pronoun she, her, and she's coming to us from the Materials Engineering Program with 14 months of experience in research and now in her industry position. Uh, Welcome, Sarah.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm glad to come talk a little bit about my unconventional kind of story.
1: Uh, So how about we get started with, um, can you just give a brief overview of what you've been doing since you've come to Mac?
2: Yeah, so... I previously, two years ago, I got to have the opportunity to be president of our Engineers Without Borders Club here at McMaster. And that led me into becoming president of our Departmental Materials Society, where we got to work on Planning Industry Night and a whole bunch of other company-based ventures. Uh, and as well, like with that, uh, continually throughout the process, I've been doing research full-time and part-time, and now I've started a position at Hatch doing pyrometallurgy and working with companies all across the world.
1: That's so cool. Definitely got an in-depth experience there with your extracurricular <laughs> research and industry. Ugh, yeah, it's a lot sometimes. <laughs> I can imagine. So, can you tell us a little bit about how you got your your research position? I know there's some there's a good story there.
2: Yeah. So I. Coming into second year, I hadn't really done anything in after my first year and then I ended up, you know, being in, involved in second year classes like I was a second year representative on our material society but I guess more or less it was just that I I wanted to be really engaged with my classes and I wanted to put a good face forward but just generally because I wanted to learn Um, and one of our courses and it's a communications based lab course and um, there was some one of the professors now Dr. Bosco Yu who teaches our first year pivot course Um, he really brought in a huge aspect of something that was you know my career aspirations into the course that he taught Um, like if I didn't choose engineering, I would have ended up doing evolutionary biology because I just find it so fascinating thinking about all the ways that everything has come to the way it is and why that implicates so many things about how we exist and how we are. And when he kind of taught the course, he always incorporated so much of that, like we'd be looking at some engineering structure and an engineering pattern and why it's mechanically superior and then paralleling it to see that like over millions of years, this is what you know evolution created the same thing. Um, and that, like, really excited me. So, like, I talked to him sometimes after class about it, and I was like, yeah, this is really cool. Like, I'm really glad that you bring this other approach, and it's not just, you know, math and formulas. Um, and, like, and I generally, like, I tried my, you know, best to put in a good effort in all my classes. Um, but at the end of the day, like, um, we had one, We had a materials like banquet at the end of the year just like around christmas time to kind of celebrate and um he reached out to me and kind of come over and was like hey like are you interested in doing research i know it's not like you know my big aspiration is like sustainability and decarbonization and all the social and governance things that come into that but then he was like i know this isn't like quite up your alley like we're talking about coding and cellular helmets and he's like, I really like, you know, the stuff that you do. And I was wondering if you'd like to be a part. And then, like that was to me kind of surprising because I was like, I, I, I,
0: you
2: know, maybe someone else is more fit for the category because they, you know, know about this topic and they're super passionate about it. But nonetheless, like he wanted me on board. And that's how I started my research position, which now we've uh, spoken at two different conferences about and we've um in the process of writing a paper and i've gotten a chance to work on this for the past 14 months and really develop like as someone who really only did first year coding to now being like in charge of writing all these algorithms that then get 3d printed and it's pretty fantastic
1: wow so it sounds like just
2: because you would shared similar values with a uh,
1: doctor you that you then uh, you got your position and then and, and that's great because as students we don't really know a lot we're not we're very naive so um, if, you, if you lead with your your values and your interests and um, a position may be coming your way That's really really
0: cool to hear. How about your industry position?
2: Yeah, so industry again a little bit unconventional, but uh, I so To give you a little bit of context, I ended up getting a scholarship from AIST, the Association of Iron and Steel Technology. Um, And basically, with that uh, scholarship, I applied for it, and it guarantees you a position in the steel industry if you were to get it. Um, Like, I was, you know, really interested in it because, you know, I wanted to, you know, have a better chance to kind of end up at a company that I'm really interested in and not just, you know, take whatever offers come um, so having that scholarship was of a huge benefit but I would say the the biggest thing about it was like it really gave me a reason to reach out to companies that you know even before you know I applied or even during the application process you're like hey like I have this thing that makes me like you know it's similar to like how if you're running an industry night or whatever you kind of feel like you have a reason to talk to companies It's a little less awkward than just being like hey hire me please um, and that's something that I think a lot of um, students miss is that so this was very like it's focused on students who are, you know, doing or interested in like metallurgy and department based like scholarship programs and societies. They often offer like exclusive scholarships to students of your specific field. And that's kind of the uniqueness, because I would applied to so many scholarships through like the McMaster portals and whatnot. And you just have so many like hundreds of thousands of applicants. But when you look into these kind of like focus, like program specific scholarships there, you know, the competition is a lot less because you're looking at certain people in a certain field and then the people who know about that opportunity as well. So the odds are so much more in your favor and give you so many more opportunities. And a lot of these departments are like. Association of Steel Technology, ASM, they all have like huge like networking platforms and other opportunities that often get missed that really kind of expedite your ability to get in touch with, you know, companies that really see them as their pride and joy like at Hatch, like AIST is like one of the gold standards for a resource like you hear about that. They're like, all right, fantastic. We can use that.
0: That's a great point, especially because like in research too, um, a lot of professors Will ask you to apply for NSERC, mm-hmm. for example, which is pretty competitive. But if you have this edge, then you kind of um, are already competitive in your field.
2: Yeah, exactly. I definitely was like, oh, there's no way I'm gonna get NSERC, and <laughs> managed to get in myself. So it's one of those things where it's definitely like apply and don't don't doubt yourself. Like there are ways that's not everything is just based on you know the numbers of your you know personal academics.
0: So having done both research and industry, do you have a preference?
2: they're very different and they offer a lot of like nuanced opportunities that you don't necessarily think you would like so for research i would say the biggest thing is that you're a lot more self-directed and you need to figure out what's the missing pieces of the puzzle and that with that, um, I find that there can be more mentorship opportunities in research depending on your supervisor, but that really depends on your supervisor. And that's the reason why I accepted the, the position with Dr. Yu was because I knew that regardless of whether or not the topic was like something that I initially was thinking like I really want to work on, um, and I grew to love it, but the fact of the matter was that I knew that he would do a fantastic job and would be really supportive and you know help me along the way instead of like some students I know they've really struggled like they chosen a topic they were interested in but not a professor that they knew well and then they didn't have a good experience. Um, so I think that influences a lot of whether or not you'll have a good time in research. Um, but one of the biggest things that I've personally found with research is that it really really built my communication skills. Um, and because you have a little more flexibility, a little more time to kind of process the information compared to industry, you can really try to get good at conveying and presenting that. Um, so like, yeah, research, depending on what you're doing, you could be interacting with industry or not, but more often it's kind of you're working directly with faculty and experts in the field. Um, and then industry offers a very different side of the coin where um, there's a little less time, things are a little more crunched but you get to work on a mass of different opportunities and areas and um, like Hatch, for instance, has been very flexible with um, kind of the where the, the route I could go along because I told them I was very interested in sustainability and decarbonization. So they lumped me on like every project they can find that's related to low emissions. And um, I've gotten a chance to work with like their climate change sector. I've gotten to work with um, industries in Canada and across the globe and really solidify more and more of what actually things look like because we talk a lot about you know what you can expect in the workforce from your courses and how they're going to parallel but nothing really sinks in as much as when you start seeing the numbers and you start seeing the reasons why some things are useful and others aren't Um, so I think like research is really good at a lot of personal development and then I think industry is a lot of kind of not necessarily like technical skill development because honestly like Technical skills matter so much less than communication, uh, especially in industry. But it really broadens your eyes to the field and whether or not like they're going down the route that you want to in the end, because research, um, you know, sometimes you're not going to end up seeing that as kind of something as a viable path to do for the rest of your career. But with industry, it's like if it exists and if there's a driving force for it, this could be the route you go down. Do you think your
1: um, perspective on the fact that industry gives you a good a larger scope into the industry um, that you might be working in do you think it your um, opinion is biased because you work for a such a large company um, I feel very mm-hmm. similarly because I work for a big pharma and, and there's 5,000 people <laughs> on my site so do you think it would be different if you were working for a smaller company
2: oh yeah no like for sure because that's that's the thing right like I you know we have so many Projects ongoing at once that you can kind of get thrown into whatever you're most interested in but um, Like I know some colleagues who work at like smaller field, like smaller companies where you're looking at like 50 to 100 engineers that work there um, And I think it, it does become like the smaller the size the more research like it becomes like you have a more personal like kind of relationship with your colleagues and you also can get really invested down the route of something as you would in research like you can be working on something for a really long time whereas depending on how big your company is you might be working on a whole bunch of small projects that kind of continuously come on and end quickly so there's that as well
0: of course on the other hand if you're working at like a small startup then you have to wear many hats like you could be applying for grants, but you yes. could also be doing the research, so you get the whole mix mm-hmm. of things.
1: Do you think also um, the uh, opinion you shared about uh, communications being really honed in research is more tied to the length of time you spent in research? Because I feel my communications has been developed now with 16 months on an industry co-op. Mm-hmm.
2: I I think it depends like this, like for me, my supervisor was very communications oriented. So every Mm. week we would have like a presentation to discuss our findings for the week rather than just like, you know, audibly Mm. summarizing and whatnot. So it really depends. Mm. Um, I think even if your supervisor isn't super heavy on it, you can kind of use that to kind of build on it because you do have a little more flexibility. Mm. But yeah, like Mm. it, it depends on the environment you're in. Sure. So
0: when you were doing part-time research, was that concurrent with oh, school? Yeah.
2: <laughs> and extracurriculars.
0: <laughs> my goodness, how did you manage all of
2: that? So if you're doing coding, do your coding all in one day and don't try to work on it bit by bit because the hardest part about it was that every time I'd go look at my code, I would spend the first half an hour trying to figure out what I just did last time. Even though I'd commented, I'd still have to refresh myself every time. And I think that's somewhat common, even if you're not doing coding research specifically. Um, So I would say, yeah, like I tried to just use one day, like usually the day before where I would have like a meeting with my supervisor. I would use the day prior to just work and hash out everything so that when I would go to that meeting, I'd be fresh and I wouldn't have to think back about what I did earlier on in the week. Um, So there's that. But then um, one piece of advice that Anika once gave me was that extracurriculars like... Are kind of your free time and to use it as such because you can use it as like I would take a break from school to go work on my extracurriculars and then I would take a break from extracurriculars and be like I'm gonna go code like obviously maintaining a healthy balance outside of that as well but Um, using that and not just thinking about it as like exhaustion and like tiring stuff you don't want to do because at the end of the day like you choose these things hopefully because you're interested in them and you find value in them and then with that it makes life a lot easier but i also took um, a reduced load so i decided to instead of doing the engineering and society program which is five years i instead reduced my load to about five courses per term and then just did the core engineering program and that was really really helpful because regardless of extracurriculars or anything, I feel like there's only so much technical information that I find I can process meaningfully in the span of four months. And it's really individually, you need to look at yourself, whether or not you're getting as much out of your courses as you can. And if you can't, then you should definitely consider like offloading to summer or working in, you know, in between on other stuff. So it
1: sounds like there's a lot of just planning involved and being very intentional with what you get involved in.
2: Oh, honey, my calendar. <laughs> every single thing is like, it's not gonna it done if it's not on there. So I would strongly recommend to start using it actually for every little thing, like planning out when you're going to work on stuff or when you're going to do an assignment.
0: Are you more of a digital organizer or I guess analog? I
2: used to. I used to love going in and just highlighting and color coding everything physically. And then... And at a certain point, I was like, I can't, I can't keep this organized. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I definitely I used to use a task management program, a couple different ones that I tried out over the while. But then a lot of it just comes down to like you can use like stickies or you can use um, like an app on your phone that connects. Like I used Trello for a good while when I was doing this extracurriculars last year. And that really helped because just it's very visual, but also at the same time, very easy to just manage.
1: Yep, I've seen Trello. It's very nice. I don't use it, but I agree.
0: So kind of veering back to your current position, I guess. How do you reconcile um, what you're working right now and your long term goals?
2: Yes, and this is a big part of what I like to talk about with like kind of the value you get out of co op compared to the career you're going to do, because. Co-op really gives you an opportunity to test out whether the field that you think you want to go into is actually the field you want to. Uh, not to say that one company is going to be able to summarize an entire industry, but it can definitely give you a taste that um, at the end of the day, you have the opportunity that you know you work there um, and a lot of times for a lot of people, they do get hired back on. So you have that opportunity to stick around in that industry, but also if it's not what you're interested in, you're only there for a fixed amount of time and then you can walk away. Whereas um, if you don't kind of do co-op or you you stick to like one route of co-op you're not necessarily going to know anything else and then you know at the end of the day you're kind of going to go down whatever route you started on so that's one thing but for me like when i was looking at kind of different like jobs for the field i want to go into because i want to do everything focused on making the world a better place which i'm sure we all do but basically i would say like a lot of it comes down to the direction like so for one like is the industry something you're actually interested in if you have the opportunity to do something else um you can but also like sometimes it's good to test out an industry you don't think you're interested in because then you can kind of like cross it off the list forever or open your eyes because i think a lot of us have a lot of biases that make us think that one industry is going to be a certain way and that you know we've got it all mapped out um so there's that but generally i would say like the companies that you want to kind of stick around with should reflect your core values and that's a good opportunity with co-op um to see whether or not they do because a lot of companies will have like you know their hr policies and a lot of you know good fancy words but at the end of the day what really matters is like for me at least like as a woman in engineering i want to see a company that's really focused on like diversity and inclusion and really puts an effort towards it on the personal level not just on the corporate level um because at the end of the day you can work on some really cool stuff but if you're not happy and you don't feel like you're being treated as well as you could be um that will kind of ache at your career so like obviously you want to work in an industry you like and you want to work at a company that you feel respects you and hopefully respects the planet and others um so one of the things i would recommend as well is like if you're wondering about a company like if you have the opportunity to talk directly to the people who will be your coworkers, like ask them questions that you know about like what the company culture is really like on an individual level um what they personally do towards like diversity and inclusion efforts and see what kind of answers you get um and that's the main things do you have any
0: advice for how to bring up these topics during formal networking events like industry nights yeah i
2: think it like i said i think it depends too if if you're only dealing with an hr representative versus if you're dealing with individuals like I think at the end of the day like everybody wants to do the right thing it's just some people are more aware of what the right things really require than others um like and i think casually like if you're able to get on a playing field where you can talk to somebody at an industry night or whatever and they seem to be connecting and relating to you i think it's more than appropriate to ask some like softball questions about this kind of stuff and just be like hey like um you know what is the demographic like at your workplace like up the chain how how do things get spaced out like what's what does diversity like physically uh and numerically look like um and see whether or not they have any kind of sense of that if they're aware of these kind of things and the efforts that they're putting towards them um and i think like any good company should hopefully be reiterating that to all of its employees and therefore you know anybody you meet at industry night should be able to give you a decent answer and um As well, like other stuff, like, you know, little questions about company culture, you can ask, like, you know, hey, like, what's uh, how long have the average, you know, engineer been there? Like how what's your turnover rate? How long do people stick around and what is being done to address that? Because if, you know, the turnover rate is very high and only people are there for a few years, then it makes you question whether or not the things they say on paper are what they actually enact and whether or not you're going to end up lumping on and moving to another place just like everybody else. That's a great point. So I can
1: see how these questions are um, really, really important for your full-time job because you're going to be staying with the company for a little bit longer, um, potentially like multiple years. How do you
0: hopefully a lot <laughs> <bit> longer? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um,
1: how do you? How do we? How do we do this as students? Like ask these questions if we only have one interview and one job offer, like and then and then you get answers. Maybe you're yeah. not the biggest fan
2: of yeah like um i when i was doing my kind of job search because i was interested in the consulting side of things i i knew some people who not necessarily were in the field but they knew some people and i was like hey i know you have a friend that has worked at such and such would i be able to reach out to them and just ask them generally like what their experience was like and whether they're somebody who works there now or if there was somebody who's you know moved on to another opportunity you might get a different response but um Obviously, you can ask your peers and your student societies for whichever department you're in because usually they'll either know somebody or know who to connect you with who can give you a better answer because, you know, like your department chairs and whatnot might also be able to tell you some insight of to the experiences they've dealt with with a lot of companies. But honestly, like if you reach out to people, even if you don't know them that well, like generally speaking, they're going to be pretty chill if you ask them about whether or not like they would recommend you to work at the same place they did. Because if they didn't have a good time, they'll generally tell you and you'll have a better sense of things to at least consider and prepare for that maybe, you know. Like, I talked to a lot of people before I got to the interview stage and I asked them stuff like, is there anything that I should be watching out for? Like, is there something that I should kind of pry to see if things are improving on? Like, maybe they didn't have a good mentorship program for when they onboard new students. So they're having a really hard time. And it's like, well, is that being addressed today? Like, that's something I've heard from my colleagues. Like, don't name drop anybody there, you know, but uh, there are concerns that a lot of students probably have experienced and that could relate to you to save you some trouble.
0: That's a good point. Like not only um, talking about the concerns themselves, but whether or not they're addressing those concerns too. Yeah,
2: if you're too busy, (laughs) then they won't even be able to really think about how to deal with co-op students. Because I feel like down the chain, like if things aren't going well, the co-op students can kind of get the brunt of it.
1: And it was also good to hear the importance of um, almost filtering the jobs you apply for based on what you've heard and the research that you've done, whether that be with speaking to people or just online research.
2: Yeah, holy like we we've had a couple of different pieces come up from we have like a divestment group here at McMaster and I keep seeing the companies get (laughs) outed in a sense for a lot of the the historical inequalities and just unethical practices that they've done and like a basic like honestly like Wikipedia is underrated for like job searches in that sense like you just go down and you look and see like any like concerns or like um, ethical problems like there's usually is a whole section that'll list them if the company is known for it. So I I would say like definitely do your homework in that sense as well like give it a quick like news search and see if anything major red flag is coming up because um, like a whole other can of worms is whether or not like a company that you work for works with other companies that aren't good. But if the company themselves is doing it, then that's like an easy kind of vetting thing that you can save yourself a bit of a bullet on. Because even if you don't experience the inequalities that might happen, like in a sense, like you're implicated for benefiting off of it. And that's, you know, not a place you want to be in when there's, you know, hopefully other opportunities that you can try to focus on and spend your effort applying for.
0: Although it definitely gets hard as a desperate co-op student to parse <laughs> yeah, through those. go
2: everything and then hopefully hear back from one or two places. And that's the reality, right? Is that like, as co-op students, like a lot of the pressures we face is that we might not have more than one opportunity to select from. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's okay. And that's understandable. And, um, you know, there are different implications for different people. But I would say like, if you really think you're not going to have a good time there like and if it's a short-term position especially like if it's research and you're like honestly like i really don't think i'm gonna have a good summer if i work with this person you're better off to just save yourself the sanity and do something else and like focus on the extracurriculars with the time that you would spend being frustrated or having to work extra or something um so like if you're financially able to and you have that kind of space like I think sometimes students feel like pressured to do a co-op as soon as they can, Um, but you usually have an opportunity potentially after second, third, and fourth year, depending on how long you stick around. So better to choose something you would actually be sane and happy working for. That's a great point. What was
1: the interview experience like for your industry co-op? It sounds like your research one was more just on networking, and so I imagine the interview was relatively informal, but what was it? like, for your industry one, and how did you prepare for it?
2: (laughs) So, I knew some people in my department who worked at the company I um, am working for now, so I definitely spent a good chunk of time talking to them and kind of piecing together, like, really what, you know, company culture was like to them and how... What kind of the big picture looks like if you were to work in that same position um, so that when I went to the interview, I, you know, I had already talked to them previously. Like, so I made sure to make an effort to speak with them at industry night and kind of. Talk about the things that I've heard from various people and kind of correlate it with the things that I'm really interested in. Like, for instance, like mm-hmm. writing papers while also working on um, like industry direct, like client work. Um, really important to me because like I really liked the getting to work on research and I don't want to axe that out of my career for the rest of time. Like, I would like to have kind of a collaborative kind of space where I can do both. Um, So I definitely talked to the people who would be directly working with me at industry nights and, and I went to more than one as well. And then by the time I got to the interview, I ended up getting interviewed by like half of the people who I spoke with at industry night. And then a lot of the stuff I could relate was very much more casual because I could just have, like, a conversation with them about, like, my friends who are working there and things that they're doing, and they're like, oh, like, do you have any questions about what we do? Like, I think you already know more of us, everything, so, like, there's no point but, like, anything? I'm like, "Ah, well, no. Um, Like, and I guess as well, like, my interview, like, depending on, I guess, the sense of the vibe you get from the people who are interviewing you, gives you more space to talk about different things like for me personally um with like hatch like we're talking pyrometallurgy we're talking about like minecraft coal and i literally brought up like i played like <laughs> modded minecraft where we literally made steel in <laughs> minecraft and like i had a whole factory and all the rest of it and i'm like hey have you guys heard about this and they're, like oh wow that sounds really cool let's see if we can get that funded and, like jokingly but um
0: <laughs> sounds like a simulation yeah, to me
2: like you know, this is just process engineering, but like to relate things that might not seem like they're necessarily like, wow, this is like 100% professional and like, mm, we're so tight and like, especially if you're not getting interviewed by like HR and you're getting interviewed by like people you're going to work with, like they're people at the end of the day and they want to see that you can communicate and you can get along with the people who you're going to work with because if, if you can't do that, it's just going to be a really awkward term for everybody involved. Um so like be yourself within a refined degree is a lot of it
1: yep yep that's a good point point. and then bringing along those experiences that you have as opposed to trying to make something bigger than it is or trying to
2: upscale yeah. something because you're going to get found out really really quickly <laughs> if you do that oh so. man the number of people i know who like said stuff that's like not realistic to their experience and then they get called out on it it's like just don't just don't do it From
1: your leadership um, positions, when you've had to interview people, have you seen these issues come up?
2: Oh, 100%. Um, And I guess one, one thing I've noticed as well is like a little bit of like cognitive dissonance, which I'm sure probably industry employers can see as well. When students are talking about what they want to do and then kind of how they either talk in the interview or how they reflect it in their personal life, like if they like mention stuff about like whether they enjoy working in group projects or not like and then they're applying for like working in a group project that's just gonna be a whole can of worms but yeah like i would (laughs) Um,
0: oh i was just laughing yeah like
2: in the applications process for the people i've interviewed like there are a lot of people who know how to talk that's one thing i've noticed that don't necessarily have a lot of facts behind what they say and they're very good at like smoothing things over So, yeah, I would say, like, genuine interest is severely underrated because I've, like, hired on a lot of people onto my team who aren't necessarily, like, the most technical skilled in whatever field that they're going to go into as, like, a VP, but they have a real passion and they're really good to work with and you know that they care. Um, and that means so much more mm-hmm. than somebody being like, Oh, I'm an expert in Photoshop and I can, it's like, I, I you can teach anybody <laughs> like, and that's the whole thing with industry too. Right. It's like, they know that a lot of the stuff you learn isn't necessarily going to be applicable to the day to day. Um, other than like ideal gas law, apparently, <laughs> but <laughs> you're going to end up learning stuff from scratch. So it's like, whether or not like you, you have a high standard and whether or not that you like can point things out that you see room for improvement on, like, I'm working on helping summarize a model and I'm trying to write a user manual for it and I'm here just like asking questions all the time because I'm like, is this formula right? I I can't explain this. It doesn't make any sense. Um, And so like an attention to detail, regardless, like whether it's extracurriculars or whatnot, like if you can focus on that, it's really, really important and makes you stand out.
0: Yeah, the technical stuff and the certifications will all come, but... It's really those holding in those transferable skills.
2: Yeah, I know so many students who always, they're so stressed. They're like, oh, I'm going to second year. And I, I don't think I have room for a technical club and team right now. Like, am I going to not be employable? I'm like, no, I've never done a technical <laughs> club and team in my life. Like, I, 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 you know how to use the lab. That's about it. But no, like, <laughs> the biggest thing, like, I know people who've had a really successful time talking about their sports and other, like, very... Outside of engineering interests, but they know how to like use the things that they've learned and translate them elsewhere Which is the most important thing of anything you do like you don't have to like the stuff that I've worked in I, I really love sustainability But then like I've done like running a material society running industry night and the relatability is so much less but the skills and the confidence it gave me allowed me to really grow into the interest that I have and feel that I can, you know, talk to employers about these things and stand up for myself and the things that I value. Whereas, like, you just do something just because you feel like you need to get a certain skill and at the end of the day, like, what are you going to get out of it if you don't really, if you're not interested in it?
0: So speaking back to your leadership positions, as an interviewer, do you think that's helped you become a better interviewer? Oh, honey.
2: (laughs) like yeah like there's there's so much because like the, the whole like spiel about like when you write a cover letter make sure to add all the key words about the things that they put in the application to your cover letter and it's like you know reverse engineering your applications to your interview and like okay they want to know about leadership skills they want to know about communication skills okay now go back down the chain of your resume and life experiences and tie everything together um, And so many things like I've interviewed people and I can just see their eyes as they shift to go read off of their notes. And it's painful. (laughs) Um, And so many little things that like you notice as an interviewer that's like, okay, like don't ramble on like have a concise but like interesting and personal answer, not just, you know, a robot. but yeah, like super, super useful. So if you have an opportunity like to interview people, like even if you're not the one making the decision, like getting to see the other side of it is really interesting because um, one of the biggest things I've always found is like if you, and I, I've experienced this a lot with uh, interviewing individuals is that like if they can't answer a question, um try to give something and try to at least show that you know you can process kind of the question and reiterate it back even if you're like oh i'm not really sure but like clarify this or um go a little more and like talk out loud your troubleshooting for what you would do it's like so much better than just if you're like go blank or asked to come back to the question after because a lot of times it's like we're not gonna have time or if you didn't do the question you might not get asked it again even if you're like oh can i come back to that so try to Show them like what goes through your head, and it's okay if it's a jumbled up mess. It's it's better than nothing.
1: That's a really good point, too, is not to push the question to the end of the interview. That, I haven't heard that mm-hmm. before. That's really good. I know during one of my interviews, um, they asked me to draw a sugar molecule. <laughs> um, Which one? And I... I, I didn't know the exact structure, but I knew why my interviewer was asking and it was just to see exactly what was going on in my head. So I made a point of like articulating what I was thinking mm-hmm. and yeah, I was off in the end. I had the hydroxyl groups in the wrong <laughs> spot, but I still got the job. Yeah. So So yeah, there's a direct example for you. So that's definitely some good advice.
0: Wow, that's that's I think that's, that's the first technical question that I've ever heard for <laughs> our field. So looks like I need to brush up on all those
2: saccharides. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, I I remember, like, I was mentoring one of our students in our department. Cause they were going in for a bunch of uh, interviews in like the steel industry and whatnot. And like, you'd be doing a lot of sample polishing and having to go through and like etch a sample and do it through all this process. And they're struggling to remember like the whole side of it. They're like, Oh, I can't, I can't exactly figure out the flow. And I'm like, okay, well like break it down. Like, what do you remember? <laughs> what are the little details? It doesn't have to be in the right order, but like just start breaking down what you can think of. Cause otherwise like, you don't say anything that's going to be like hard for your supervisor to know how to help you because they need to know where you're at and you need to be able to like honestly admit that which is hard and especially like as a woman in engineering like you want to go above and beyond so that you're not seen as you know problematic because of all the biases that exist so um it can be really challenging and that's why it's like i think it really matters a lot about whether or not you feel like the place you're going to work is actually going to be accommodating to a lot of the things that exist and a lot of the barriers that exist in place.
0: What would you say are qualities of the best applicant that you've ever seen?
2: Um,
0: this could include yourself.
2: <laughs> no, I don't think I've ever been the best applicant. But no, I would say, like, you can just see how much they genuinely want to improve in, like, their eyes and the way that they talk. Um, because, like... Not even just that, but like the people who really have always worked really well are the people who are like, you know, I wanna have a good time and I want to work really well and I want to, you know, make everybody proud. And they just, they have like an interpersonal connection skill that like a lot of people kind of struggle with in a team because like at the end of the day, like people can fill a job and they can do a position, but they're only gonna remember you based on like how good you are generally in communicating and working with other people. So, like, that solves so many problems if they know how to, like, communicate or at least admit when they're struggling. Um, And generally speaking, like, have those soft skills, like, how to tell somebody when things aren't going well, like, how to give constructive feedback, how not to, like, tick somebody off and then they don't want to work with you. Um, Those are, like, the most important things because, like, getting the job done, like, a lot of the steps, like, whether it's in extracurriculars or in the workplace, like, they have somebody more skilled who could do the same job in so much less time but they want to help you grow and in order to do that they also need you to be open to like feedback and to be open to like tackling things in new ways because like when i started doing presentations for work i'm doing them as i would for research or for class like introing from the very beginning and teaching it to a new audience and then they're like oh we don't have time for that (laughs) unlearn all that and start you know thinking about it in a, a new approach and you know it can be challenging but if you are able to communicate and like ask like those questions to your supervisors like that's that's the easiest thing to make everybody's life easier
1: and sometimes these types of tough conversations or these questions are are really important to highlight um like challenges that are going on you if you ask a question you don't know something maybe they didn't realize you didn't know and so now you've just like opened that door and hopefully another conversation to learn more information or um or if if somebody made a mistake and you're able to communicate it, well, you've just saved everybody so much time, yeah. right? Because otherwise it's gonna you're gonna talk to three more people <laughs> and then that mistake's gonna continue and it's just gonna snowball. So it's really, really important mm-hmm. to have those conversations.
0: As you mentioned earlier, um, women in engineering face so many different barriers just working and like that there's always that pressure of wanting to overachieve and um, being the best that you can be to show people that you know, you can do just as well as anyone else. So how do you um, how do you get the confidence to ask someone for help or show those vulnerabilities when you have that added pressure of wanting to be the best?
2: I, I like to think of it as kind of mm-hmm. like there's power in numbers. And a lot of, like, the things that I've noticed is that, um, like, there can be not that many women in a certain space within a company, but the ones that do exist they're really united in their front against things. So if they're dealing with anything, I've always, always like been a little more inclined to reach out to another like woman in Eng who's either like more up the chain or not even necessarily like on the project I'm working on, but just to ask them for advice and to get kind of some of their feedback because it's so much more approachable. Like I find if you're, especially if you're working in like a very heavily male dominated field, like um, they're, Still, yeah <laughs> um so there, there's that but like there are a lot of like men in the workplace in my workplace especially who do make a very conscious effort to make sure that people feel comfortable bringing those things up and some are definitely better than others and i generally like i try to find the kind of the least painful route to go about something whether it's like needing to ask for help or who to talk to like um definitely there are going to be easier ways of doing it that you'll feel more comfortable because honestly, like if you can find those people who you can talk to about stuff, then it will be a lot easier than rather than trying to pressure yourself to talk to somebody who you don't want to bother and whatnot. Like you're going to have to eventually like that's okay. But um, there's always ways that you can kind of do things in a more approachable manner. And then like I myself, like I always try to talk to people and reiterate that these kind of barriers exist. And then Like my supervisor, for instance, can talk to people up the chain or if I'm working with anyone else just to reiterate and be mindful of that. Because finding somebody who you can confide in to be like, if anything goes wrong or anything that you just want to make sure that starts off with the right foot. And then if you can confide in them, they can usually kind of bring things up the chain and bring it to the people who need to hear it most.
0: And of course, that's why representation matters so much. Like finding those people that you can see yeah. yourself in. And of course, insert any exactly. marginalized group here.
2: But yeah, that, that's one of the things that I've heard though for various different research Like, um, is that even though like, if you do get like the numbers to increase of so whether it's like a minority or women in engine in the workforce, the company culture has to shift. Otherwise, they're going to continue to experience the same problems, but just get... A higher position in the company which is not what we want to see and that's where a lot of it comes into place with like um you know having men act as allies and continue the process on behalf of others and um that's something i always try to speak with about whatever i'm employer i'm working for is like you know they're a lot of groups who don't feel like they can speak up when they need to. So the people who are in positions of power and senior leadership, the responsibility really falls on them to make sure that they're doing the right things. Like for instance, like I gave a talk a little bit about pronunciations in the workforce and why making sure to you know introduce someone correctly and refer to them correctly matters so much, um, because a lot of people aren't going to feel comfortable saying like, oh hey, uh, can you not do that? because they don't want to be problematic but the the supervisors and whatnot are there to make sure that that doesn't happen to you and sometimes it gets looked over but that's what more and more of us need to speak up and bring and raise up so that people are more conscious of it in the future
0: yeah i guess everything's just tied back to like asking about that company culture and whether you feel comfortable working for a company that aligns with your values and whatnot but Then it goes back to the problem of like being a co-op student and not necessarily having more offers to actually parse through that information. But then it goes back to (laughs) how we talked about going on Wikipedia, checking out those companies and seeing uh, the kind of information that's available online. Yeah.
2: And like a lot of the confidence I have to speak up about anything that I notice is it really comes down from the experience I've had in extracurriculars because like I've, been on the behind the scenes side of whether it's like running events or like leading a team and seeing where things can go right and things can go wrong so that it's not that i'm just like talking and being like oh like this would be great in an ideal world but i've never like tried to actually practice it myself and it's like when you are able to enact those things and see the progress that it makes in your own experiences it's a lot easier to kind of relate to how it'll help others um and that just comes down to like if you can get involved like i would definitely recommend to like look into clubs and teams that work directly with companies if you are somebody like me who like struggles to like really like i I find it stressful networking and i don't like having to like more or less talk about how you should hire me (laughs) like so when you have kind of that footing to talk to a company about on a common ground like whether you're the organizer or you're someone assisting in volunteering like Keep an eye out for volunteer opportunities with industry nights. Like people always need more help, Um, but it really gives you some place to start and to feel like you have more validation to ask those kind of questions because you're like, oh, I'm asking on behalf of the students. Like, what are these things like? And, you know, think of it more that you're saving your peers trouble and not just yourself.
1: And extracurriculars are a great um, playing ground for it because it's less formal and theoretically there's less impact on your long term career as well. right?
2: Yeah.
0: Um, speaking of long-term careers, where do you see yourself going next?
2: Yeah. So I guess before I even came into university, I always wanted to do some kind of like project management. But I was like, man, I don't really have any experience in this. I don't know if I'm like just coughing up the wrong tree here, just thinking that I'm going to be useful in something that I'm not. And um that's what like our extracurriculars really let me to try to try and test out is that like, I really like helping others and I really like helping with mentorship and kind of working in like project management positions. And that's a lot of what I want to end up doing in the long scale of things. Like I, uh, you know, not that like, I like think about it actively, but like, yeah, like there are not that many women in project management and that's something that, you know, would be an inadvertent bonus as well of what I would like to do. Cause um, at the end of the day like I know myself like I'm not the fastest most technical person who can do the math like as quick as some some brilliant person but what I can do is I can I can poke holes and I can find areas for improvement and I can see where people need help and where like a lot of groups have struggled. Um, as someone like myself who has struggled, like dealing with, you know, university and, and networking and so many difficult challenges. Um, so really seeing that room to like help others grow and also like get to work across a broader field rather than just being the, the niche expert in one topic. Because like I know myself, I'm, I'm never going to be the most brilliant person, but I, I would much feel like I can give a much bigger impact when I can help other people excel to their highest standards.
0: Sounds like Oikawa. (laughs) It sounds like your co-op. Is that what you said? (laughs) No, I was referencing an anime character. (laughs) Oh, Rip. A volleyball anime character, mind you.
1: Yes, Sarah has informed me of such anime. I remember. (laughs) Okay, so I think we can leave it off here. Uh, Thank you, Sarah, for coming to talk to us today and share with us all of your insights on um, the importance of um, looking for the values of the company that you're working for, the importance of um, sharing your values with other people to, because they will end up getting you positions, and also um, sharing your next steps and how your big picture thinking is leading you towards your next um, position. So we wish you best of luck in your future endeavors. Yeah, thank you both for having me on board. So that was Sarah Gonder. She dropped some gems about the reasons why speaking to colleagues at your target company before applying for the position can really open your eyes to the company culture and their commitments to diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. She also mentioned the difference between working for research and industry. If you'd like to hear more from Sarah, you can reach her at LinkedIn at Sarah Gonder.